Welcome to Plug In For More, brought to you by EVUniverse.com. EVUniverse is your one-stop shop for all things related to the electric vehicle. Here on this podcast, our goal is to educate, inspire, and hopefully make your transition into the electric vehicle marketplace a lot less intimidating. And now, here are your hosts, Mike, Tom, and Bryant. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about an article that was floating around the internet that maybe you saw. It was from the Wall Street Journal, so it was a a wide publication, and it was written by Rachel Wolf, titled, I rented an electric car for a four-day road trip, and I spent more time charging than I did sleeping. And she happened to rent the car that is near and dear to my heart, which is the EV6, and um, her her trip was very eventful, and uh, we're going to dive into it today. Talk a little bit about her trip. We have a guest on the podcast, um, Aaron, who also owns an EV6, who's just done a way longer road trip than she did to get his experience. Mike is planning a trip from North Carolina up to Michigan in a few days. We're going to hear Mike's experience with a Tesla. I have yet to take a very long road trip. As as you guys know, I've taken two small ones, which I've talked about before. So I have a small a little bit of experience, but we want to maybe dive in and not be critical of her article, but we just want to dissect it and find out maybe some areas she could have improved on and uh, had a better experience because she clearly, if she spent more time charging than she did sleeping, that's a problem. Just to recap, if you've not seen the article or read the article, it was, she was driving from New Orleans to Chicago and she planned roughly seven and a half hours of, of driving with charging and then a hotel overnight. In theory, that should be fine. She used one of the apps I like to use, the PlugShare app, which shows user-generated chargers. And there's literally thousands of charging options between New Orleans and Chicago. Um, but her first mistake, I think, is she was trying to stop at level two and level ones, which we'll talk about. We've talked about in the podcast, but we'll talk a little bit more. But the EV6 is the fast, one of the fastest charging, if not the fastest charging EV that I'm aware of in the market, promising 80%, you know, from 20 to 80% or 20 to 100% in the 15 to 20 minutes. And I've, I've experienced that myself at a fast charger. So in theory, she should have been set up for success, but she ran into some difficulties. And I, I think we'll dive into those, but just off the top of my head here, one of the difficulties she ran into was I kept noticing she, she used dealership chargers, which we'll ask, you know, Mike and Aaron in a second if they've ever used one. I've never used a dealership charger before. I'm not quite sure the etiquette, but she she pulled into a Nissan dealership, a Mazda dealership, and she was surprised it was taking her three four hours to add twenty or thirty miles. That's that's level one. That's level one. Maybe like slow level two charging. So we'll talk about that in in today's podcast and, and dive in. I'm excited to to broach this subject because it's near and dear to to my heart. So with, with that, um, you know, Mike or Aaron or Tom, any thoughts around? You know, the article and your point of view of, you know, maybe some things she could have done better to have a better experience. Well, I mean, I would really like to hear from Aaron. I mean, Aaron, you've got the exact same vehicle she took. And with what your trip, I mean, you've been on a, a very long trip and I, I don't want to steer, steal any of your thunder, but can you dive into, you know, what trip you just completed, how long that took, some of the issues you ran into? And I believe this, this was your first long trip in an EV. You know, I just want to compare and contrast. You know, if you when you read that article versus what you experienced, and I think your trip was actually longer. Can you give us all those details and really what your thoughts were? 
Sure. So just to, to summarize my trip, my trip was from central Ohio all the way to the furthest I went was Needles, California, right? So Southern California there. Um, have family in Northern Arizona. I was going out to, uh, to visit. So round trip, um, I did about 4,500 miles. So on my way out, um, basically went the Southern route, which is the shortest route from basically Columbus, Ohio to Kingman, Arizona. But on the way back, I actually kind of got derailed on my mission as well due to the wildfires and had to head north and ended up all the way north going through Colorado, um, through Nebraska and visiting some family in Iowa before returning home. So it was a little bit longer on the way back. Um, and I didn't plan that effectively and, and noticed that there was a road closure on 40. I just started driving and, and uh, found out when I got to Albuquerque. Um, but on that trip, yeah, I seriously had no major, major issues whatsoever. Um, I was, uh, I was kind of intrigued by the article. I actually read her article before I actually departed because it came out right before I think I left for the first trip and was actually a little, a little frustrated. It felt, uh, I don't know if, if like my grandmother suddenly jumped into an EV and tried to take a road trip without having any, any knowledge of the vehicle or how charging works. Um, I drove my trip out using mainly Electrify America chargers on the way out. And, um, and I was really impressed with the network that they had strung out along that major route, that major interstate, um, to where I could even skip chargers in route and not have to worry about running out of range in my EV6. Um, in comparison, you know, as you guys already alluded to, it seemed as if she was using a lot of dealership chargers, a lot of level two chargers, um, maybe the occasional level one in there, which if you know anything about the vehicle you're driving, you should have a little bit of an expectation as to what range you're going to get using those or what range you're going to return from those chargers. Um, and I did actually in my trip back because I wasn't on a timeline, a, a strict time schedule. When I got derailed, I also searched for a different experience. Um, instead of just using all Electrify America, I did use some dealer chargers. I did seek out some free um, higher speed chargers. I was traveling out to Arizona, Southern California with my uh, teenage son and our dog. And I was traveling back with just the dog and um, no real timeline that I had to return. So I wanted to kind of get that experience a little bit more. And I did have some successes with some dealership chargers and with others, um, there were some struggles. One thing that I did notice about dealership chargers is that a lot of them would lock up lock up their facilities, close the gates, control access to those chargers after hours. And to be honest, sometimes when I was coming in looking to use a lower speed free charger, it was after hours and I would find that it was, you know, closed off. Um, but I did plan for a little bit of that. And it was mentioned earlier, the PlugShare app, you know, some of the, the cool tips within that PlugShare app is that the user community is providing some of that feedback. So I kind of knew that some of those might be hit or miss with access just by using that app in advance. So I didn't overextend myself to try and get there and be left with no range to go elsewhere if I needed to. What I found was the biggest difference in taking the EV journey across country compared to in a regular uh, ICE vehicle that I've done several times was 
just that I had to plan a little bit more, right? When we're driving in, in a gas vehicle, in an ICE vehicle, you know that pretty much every exit on that interstate is going to have fuel available. It might be a dollar more than you want to pay, but pretty much everywhere is going to have that fuel available. Whereas in driving cross country in the EV, I just had to plan and navigate basically from charger to charger instead of just from destination to destination. Um, which takes a little bit more planning, which not everybody I think is accustomed to yet. And I think that might've been a little bit of her flaw in her strategy and in being prepared for that journey as well. Once you get past that mindset and you just look at those as many destinations along your route between the navigation systems in the vehicles and, and most EVs these days have pretty high tech, um, navigation systems that allow you to find near chargers, right? Um, and using apps like PlugShare or the charging apps like um, Electrify America's app, you can plan out really easily along their app. Or I also did a comparison with a better route planner because I'd never used that app previously. Um, using those combinations of apps and things like that, it doesn't take a ton of time to effectively plan out a trip that is not going to leave you charging more than sleeping. Um, for example, the, the trip out there, we spent, and I, and I logged everything as I went, how much time I spent at each, char each charger, right? Um, what I was getting at different chargers. I did a much better time of that on the way out. There were a couple on the way back that I might've forgot to write down. But on the way out, I spent five hours and 42 minutes of time charging. From outside of Columbus, Ohio to Needles, California, a total of five hours and 42 minutes. And mind you, some of that was by choice. In Oklahoma City, there was a, a free charge point access that was a 62 and a half kilowatt at a bank. And I went, well, this is a great time to take a nice nap. So my son and I were both tired. So neither of us were gonna, gonna continue that driving. So we plugged in there for a slower charge to allow us to rest a couple hours before proceeding on our on our journey, right? To make sure that we were driving safely. So I planned things like that out as well. Like when was I gonna hit a slower charger? It wasn't on purpose. There were faster ways to do the trip, but sometimes I wanted that slower charge because I could just relax. I could take the dog to a nearby dog park and get some exercise. Um, we could walk around, we could eat dinner. Um, but that does involve a little more planning than I think most people are accustomed to at this stage of the game that may be used to driving a traditional ICE vehicle. Hey, Aaron, I want to jump in there for a second because I think you, you touched on a point that some of our listeners may completely understand, um, but some of them may not. So we covered it in a previous podcast, level one, level two, and level three charging. So with level one, just as a reminder, that's, you know, 110 outlet. That's like a three prong that you would normally plug your... Um, toaster in at your house that's where you get just a few miles per hour of charge which is what that woman did a, a fair amount of on her journey with the wall street journal um then level two that's where you're getting a little bit more that's the 220 and that the 220 outlet um or like that's comparable to a clothes dryer and you're gonna get anywhere from 30 to 50 miles of range per hour and then the level three is the DC fast charging, which which is analogous to the Tesla superchargers and Electrify America that you mentioned. So just as a 
reference point for people. That's kind of what you're talking about. Did you have a fair amount of range anxiety when you first started? And how did that ease up versus when you pulled in your driveway after this long road trip? You know, where were those levels when you left versus where you came back? So I'm glad you asked because I briefly mentioned a better route planner and a better route planner does kind of lay out percentage wise what it expects your vehicle to have when you arrive at the next charging spot. And that is where I would say my largest amount of range anxiety came in taking this trip was do I trust that app? So I started out really kind of tracking alongside, well, what did the app say I should have when I got here versus how accurate it was. And then there were times in the journey because as we head out west, you know, we've got major elevation changes. When you start to climb the mountains, you've got range differences that start to happen. I found myself deviating from a better route planner to stop a little bit earlier. Right. So instead of skipping that next EA charger, I said, well, maybe I'll just pop in and, and spend five minutes and get a little bit more range just in case. So that's kind of where my personal range anxiety came in on that journey. On the way back, I think I'd gotten past that. Although, in all fairness, I didn't use a better route planner at all on the way back because I was in less of a hurry. Once I got derailed in Albuquerque, it was let's just uh, have fun with this and see where we go. And I made a couple phone calls to family in Iowa and said, hey, I'm going to swing through. <laughs> um, what are you guys doing tomorrow night? Which happened to be Father's Day. Um, I'm going to swing through on Father's Day if uh, you guys are going to be home. And, uh, and they were like, yeah, we're going to be here. So uh, come on by. So I kind of made a little bit more of a journey out of it because I wasn't in a rush to get back. In fact, I mentioned that it took me about five hours and 42 minutes worth of charging on my way out there. The longer trip back where I was a little bit more relaxed and hit a lot more free chargers on the way back, um, I think I spent, I spent about 13 and a half hours of charging time. And that includes some charging that I did on just a six kilowatt where I was, uh, took a long nap. Um, so several hours that I just let it go on a, on a six kilowatt charger during that time. So just to go back to referencing that Wall Street Journal article, Brian, I guess I don't know off the top of my head what that mileage was that she took to get from, you know, if it's 800 miles or whatever it was, was versus what Aaron did. But, you know, I just want to compare that just number wise. Um, I don't think we're even on your slow, you know, planned out journey that you had a complete derail. That still was a heck of a lot shorter time frame than what she she noticed. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, New Orleans, Chicago is, I don't know, a thousand miles. It's not 4,500 that you drove, Aaron. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> that is, that is certain. Aaron, I was curious, did you spend any time in a hotel? Um, and did you find any problems with um, hotels not having any chargers? Or was that, was that an issue? That's a question I often get from people. It's like, well, what if I stop at a hotel with no charger? What was, what was your experience for that? So that's an interesting question. I had originally thought about doing so. Um, I have a tendency, my wife, it drives her nuts to take these road trips and just drive. Um, I enjoy driving. I enjoy being in a vehicle. I enjoy being on the road. So I oftentimes don't plan out hotel stops in advance. And just as I'm on the road, if I feel the need, then I'll stop. So on the way out, we had actually anticipated stopping a few times um, for hotels. But between myself and my 17-year-old son and 
the the way in which we traveled this journey, we never really stopped. Like we were well rested, each of us at each stop. In fact, and this is going to sound absurd. And when I really sat down and did it, I arrived in, in Arizona two days faster than I thought I was going to when I originally made the plans wow. because I anticipated some hotel stays and I anticipated running into char to, to charging issues and things of that nature. I put all that buffer in there. Um, because I just didn't know. And I actually ended up getting there quicker than I'd ever done that journey, even in an ice vehicle. And when I really looked at that and I went, how is that possible? It boiled down to a few things. The, the journey itself is very different, right? I was traveling with my teenage son. He did a little bit of the driving. We had the dog with us. The more frequent stops that I took in the EV actually had me much more alert and awake on that journey because I was getting out of the vehicle more frequently. I was stopping. I was exercising the dog, right? I had the time to do those things. So every time I got back behind that wheel, I was wide awake and ready to go, or my son was wide awake and ready to go. So we just didn't feel like we wanted to stop versus driving five hours nonstop in an ice vehicle. You start to fatigue, I think, a lot more frequently. So I was shocked that in the end, my journey was actually a lot quicker going out there than I had previously in an ice view. I just want to like drive that point home that, again, your trip was faster in the EV cross country, basically than it was previously in an ice vehicle. Yeah, by about my my previous time, by about three and a half hours. Hmm. And that wasn't just, I mean, again, being kind of EV focused here, I don't want to over tilt towards the EV side of things, but um, that wasn't something, it wasn't like a record set, you're trying to do this as best you possibly could. This is just how it happened because of the alertness that you're talking about. Correct. Okay. That's fantastic. That's That's awesome. I think I think you're stumbling onto something, Aaron. That's that's probably pretty critical. I don't think um, you know Rachel. She doesn't own an EV. She rented one, so she probably wasn't familiar with the concept you're talking about, which I agree with. In my, my limited road trips, I've just done a couple, you know, two small, three hundred mile ones, where you have to plan around around chargers. And I I completely, hundred percent, agree with you on that on the range anxiety from the charge point app. Because you're not quite sure, right? And so I would, I agree. I've, I've always stopped just maybe, just I'll take that extra charge because it's supposed to get home at 5%. And you're like, I'm not sure if I feel comfortable with being home at 5%, right? I'd rather come home at 25% or 30%. Um, but I think you're right. If you're not used to planning out around chargers and you're just going like to get off at any random stop that has a charger and it's a Nissan dealership that's a slow level one or maybe a slow level two, I can see why she had a problem versus... Because there's multiple, if you look at the route she took from New Orleans to Chicago, it's, Tom found it, it's 927 miles to be exact. There's multiple level three Electrify America chargers on that route that you just referenced that I've used personally that will charge the car. I've had it, right, from 20% to 100% in 18 minutes. So I'm not sure why she didn't use those. But to your point, if she had planned around that, she would have had no article to write because it would have been really, really yeah. simple. It takes a little bit of education when you're moving from an ICE vehicle to an EV. It doesn't take that much, frankly, um, as I think a lot of people have made that transition. It's kind of your first long trip. And then you're like, okay, I get it. No big deal. Let's just go on my next one. You don't think about it anymore. Yeah. In all fairness, though, Mike, 
you have a, a long history with electric vehicles, so it's not going to be your first rodeo. So that planning isn't something nope. you're stressing over because you've kind of been there and nope. done that. Um, for those of us who might be taking our first long trip, I think having that planning is kind of a necessity to get past some of that range yes. anxiety issue that you may have. Yeah, thousand percent agree. I mean, especially on your first one, I feel like once you do that research and you experience your first road trip, it kind of eases that anxiety and you know what to do and you get to a place very quickly to kind of where, where I'm at after a number of years. You're listening to the Plug In For More podcast. If you're looking for information on electric vehicles, electric vehicles components, or information on how to reduce your carbon footprint, look no further than EVUniverse.com. EVUniverse.com is your one-stop shop for all things related to electric vehicle. Aaron, I think um, you and I were talking, you're going to you're take another long trip. Do you want to preview that one and maybe anything you're, you learned on your first trip? It sounded like pretty painless, but any, any differences in mindset on this next trip and where you're going? Sure. So yeah, we'll be heading back out. I left my son in Northern Arizona, so now it's time to go get him. <laughs> um, so this trip will be going out. Uh, my wife and my youngest son will be joining us on this journey, and she thinks the dog's coming. I'm not sold on that yet. But we'll be taking the trip uh, back out. We're actually going to go back the way I came home. So we're going to go through Iowa. We're going to go the northern route. We're going to look actually at some some properties in some rural areas of Colorado. So I'm looking at how am I going to effectively plan out that charging. We're going to spend a couple of nights in, in some places in Colorado and then proceed down um, back towards northern Arizona. And then they're going to fly back and I'm going to drive back with my uh, with my other son who was left in Arizona because he wanted to jump back in the EV and didn't want to fly. Um, so he enjoyed it that much and enjoyed the journey. And then, yeah, we're going to uh, make a return trip. And that return trip, I don't have planned out. I don't know what route we're going to take. Um, I think we're going to fly by the seat of our pants on that and see which, where we end up um, and, and where the road kind of takes us on that trip. Interesting. That'd be cool. I'm excited to hear how it goes. And um, I, two two questions for you specifically on this. So the EV6 does not come with a charger. Um, I, I had to purchase a level one and I just got a level two installed in my house finally. But are you bringing a level one with you just in case? Or what, what is your uh, what is your plan? Are you just saying, you know what, I'm just doing charging networks. I'm not bringing anything with me. Like, are you bringing one with? I'm just curious on that. So you're right. I was a little surprised when I purchased my EV6 to find that there was not a level one um, that came with it. Um, I had been planning in advance of getting uh, an electric vehicle, and I was one of those early reg uh, reservation holders for the Cybertruck, <laughs> um, which I'll never see, apparently. <laughs> Don't say that. That's gonna that hurts yeah. my soul. Uh, mine too. <laughs> yeah. Mine too. Um, so I had, uh, we did a kitchen remodel last year and what I did was I actually had my electrician since we were re redoing everything. I had my electrician at that time install uh, a Tesla level two in my garage. Um, so I used an adapter to charge my EV six in it and it works really fine. So I was okay when I got it home, but I knew I'd be taking this trip and I wanted that added security, but I also wanted to find something that because I do have family that live across the country that in the event I did have to stay long term, it wasn't just a level one. So I actually bought one of those uh, level one slash level two chargers. It has an adapter to go to level one that I can plug in when I am out there if I had to stay longer. 
Um, but the reality is it might get four and a half kilowatts at a level two speed in a dryer outlet, but still that's better than getting 1.4 on a, on a level one. Um, if I had to stay out there for any extended period of time, but I do bring one just for that reason. And just in case, and to be honest that while I'm staying with family, I can just throw it in overnight and, you know, maybe get 15% on a level one overnight if I needed it. You know, one tip I was talking to a cars and coffee guy and he had a Rivian, and a tip he was doing, which I hadn't even thought of, is he was taking a road trip down south, south where he lives in Florida from Michigan, and he was going to stop at campgrounds along the way and bring his charger with and get just an electrical outlet and camp and charge his car overnight. And I never even thought of that, but that's, you know, campgrounds, marinas, like they all have shore station power for our boat. They all have you know, plugins for RVs. It's just something that wasn't on my radar until this Rivian owner mentioned it to me. Yeah, that's uh that's an actually an old uh Tesla Roadster trick using campgrounds and those were the only sort of places they could charge back in the day rather than, you know, trying to find someone's house with a dryer outlet near the outside of their house or something. Um crazy. So that's what they a lot of them did. So that's it's funny kind of it's going back to that in some regard is those are kind of the backup options. And I can testify to having done that as well. So I know I've mentioned uh, maybe not uh, recently here, but I do do a lot of traveling on the weekends for dog related competitions. And, and when my wife comes with me, sometimes instead of like getting a hotel, we like to kind of just camp. We always really have. So we will rent a campground with um, electric utility on it for basically RVs or whatever, and we'll camp out overnight. So we'll have a dog competition that lasts two days. We'll we'll go on Saturday, we'll camp out, enjoy ourselves and, and recharge Saturday night and head back to the day two of the competition on Sunday. So we have done that a handful of times already. Um, the thing that you wanna keep in mind is not all outlets are the same, right? So <laughs> I did have to purchase several different adapters to get the charge to work, whether it was my sister's dryer outlet, my mother's dryer outlet was different, or the RV outlet was different, right? There were a couple little plug and play things that I had to do to figure that out to get that working, but it does work. Um, it's not going to charge at the same speeds as your level two in the garage. It's definitely not going to be like supercharging, right? But it is going to get you what you need um, for trips like that or for just an overnight to, to wake up the next day and, and be ready to rock and roll. I think that's a good point, Aaron, when you bring up those adapters, because you know, Tesla sells them. There's a bunch of different places you can get them. But um, if you're going to do those long road trips, camping, whatever, and you don't know where you might stop for something like that, having those you know, five, six adapters so you can basically hit any outlet that you've run across can come in handy just for an emergency situation too. And you probably already hit on this just a little bit, Aaron, but in an effort to try to be as fair and balanced as we can, we're going through this, obviously EVs are newish and there's probably some things that maybe are better than an ICE vehicle. So you do this cross country road trip and was there anything that you felt you were held back by in driving an electric vehicle cross country as, a, as, as opposed to an ICE vehicle? Hmm. That's, that's an interesting question. I, I think... Obviously, you cannot drive quite as far on one charge as you normally could in, you know, what I was used to driving, which is a hybrid vehicle of a Sonata or um, or a Prius, right, where I'm going to get 500 miles on that tank of gas. So you couldn't go quite the same distance um, per charge or fill up um, mm -hmm. comparatively, 
but I don't know that it held me back. I think, um, I think on the long journey, what I was able to gain by those more frequently charges was uh, a much better offset when it came to safety and being alert on the road because I was so awake and, and revitalized, making some additional stops and forcing yourself to move sure. around. Um, and I don't think in the end it was really a, a, a detriment to the EV versus the ICE vehicle when making such a long journey. Now, if you only had to go 400 miles, then, I mean, you're going to have an extra stop in that EV that you might not have to have had in that ICE vehicle, and you could look at it as a detriment sure. for that. Yeah, and you know, I, and this isn't necessarily for you, but just talking about that article from the Wall Street Journal, I'm sitting here as we're talking about it thinking like that reporter's experience is probably completely true. Like I have no doubt about it. I, I don't think that there was any intention for her to mislead or try to be deceptive in, in her reporting, but I think it's endemic of the education around EVs as we've, we've all talked about. So our intention with this podcast, this episode was not to eviscerate the article to discredit anything she had to say other than that. Maybe there's a better experience out there that she could have had with a better education or some research ahead of time. I agree with that. I would say there are some things that, whether it was that article or the associated, um, I think it was Wall Street Journal did a, a video compilation of some of the reporters across the world um, who had done some EV experiences. There's something that I routinely see um, mentioned, and it's something that mentally I had to kind of get past in EV ownership, and that is the impact that accessory usage may have on range. So there's a lot of talk about, well, I'm not using my climate control because I'm trying to get a little extra range type thing. And I found myself early on, um, and mind you, I've only had the vehicle for a handful of months, but have put a lot of miles on it. I found myself early on thinking about that probably more than I needed to. And I find myself now thinking about it less and just factoring that into the overall usage of the vehicle, which oddly enough is exactly what we do with ICE vehicles. Because when you turn your air condition on in an ICE vehicle, you get less miles per gallon out of it too, right? <laughs> it's just, you're not seeing it displayed in a number in front of your face. Face. You're just seeing the gauge go down slowly that on your fuel level. Um, so there, there's some of that that's out there that, that I think maybe even as EV owners or new EV owners, we may focus on a little bit more than in the end we end up needing to or that we adapt to over time. In, in the prior podcast, I don't know if you've heard it all, Aaron, if you've listened, but I, I'm aware that the Kia EV6 has like different drive modes. Um, the, the, one of them is the old man drive there. mode. And you're as you're there. talking about the accessories, I was just curious if, if you spend time in old man drive mode to save miles or if you just put in sport mode and drive. If that's just Bryant, that's probably just Bryant. If that's what you're asking. Old man drive mode. Yeah, you mean yeah. eco? Eco, I'm sorry. That- I always forget. I don't have Bryant. one. Yeah. We, we could, we could just name it Bryant mode. <laughs> that's okay. Um, yeah, to be honest, I spent uh, the majority of my drive time in eco. I don't see any reason not to in my daily driving. Um, I did the same with any of my hybrid vehicles or my my children have. Um, I bought a, a Hyundai Accent for my children a few years back, and I don't drive around in it in sport mode. There's just not really a need for it. Number one, sport mode in a Hyundai Accent is kind of a joke to begin with, but... <laughs> <laughs> but what, what's the real purpose behind it? Getting on and off an on-ramp, right? So I use my sport mode in my EV6 when I do have to 
either maneuver in and out of traffic, expect to need quick acceleration, or, you know, I mean, it's, it's a dog and pony show for friends and family who have never been in an electric vehicle to hit that sport mode and take off and, and hit that zero to 60 time and um, kind of open their eyes to what an EV can actually do versus their thoughts of everybody, fair or not, my encounters is that everybody still thinks that a Prius is an EV and the, the negative stuff associated with a Prius being this slow vehicle that's always in the, the fast lane at 40 miles an hour type of thing. That stereotype is still kind of out there in the ether. So getting them into the EV6, hitting that sport mode and taking off, it's kind of an eye-opening experience. And I'm sure you've experienced that in your Teslas as well. Yeah, I mean, it's... uh. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely fun. Um, I, I and we and early on we talked uh, some of the original podcast um, episodes about the acceleration being really what made you know me get interested in EVs long uh, long ago. But um, you know one thing that I noticed in the BMW i4 M50, which is analogous to the Tesla Model Three Performance, you know very very fast vehicles, even in the eco mode is it still was plenty fast. I mean, faster than almost everything out there, um, especially just even on the highway. So I went, I took that car from Pennsylvania down to North Carolina when I purchased it a few months ago. And, uh, again, even in the eco mode, it's got plenty of, plenty of power. What has Brian and Aaron's experience been with the EV six and eco mode? I, I'll, take Tom off the list here because uh, I know he's going to be kind of uh, all sport mode all the time. I'm with Aaron. One, I'm glad he validated me because I've been I've been intact for driving eco mode on road trips. So I'm glad there's a validation of someone who drove 4,500 miles and, and drove the same way I did. So I feel validated here. Um, but yeah, I eco mode, I'm 99% of the time and I only put it in sport to pass people on the freeway or on a two lane highway or to Aaron's point, it's like, Hey, you got a Prius that sucks. And say, like, Hey, let's go for a ride. It's like not a Prius. <laughs> so I hundred percent agree with what you're saying, but, uh, I don't know why I just, I feel like ego modes enough for daily for me, but Aaron, what do you, what do you think? No, I'm 100% with you on that. Um, my daily drive is spent in eco mode. Now, mind you, I do take some journeys around rural Ohio, and it's nice to have that little advanced um, tightness in the steering when when I put it in sport mode to go around some of the some of the nice uh, rural roads in Ohio. But for the most part, I don't see any point in in not having it in eco mode when I drive. Um, I, I don't even think twice about it, to be honest. Aaron, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and chat with us about your experiences in the travel and. Uh look forward to seeing more from you in the future and thank you well, pleasure's all mine guys yeah, thank you. yeah it's, it was Thanks, awesome Aaron. chat Aaron. you're you're super super knowledgeable i love uh love your passion love your enthusiasm really cool story you had uh, on your road trip and that's when i saw it on facebook i was like well this guy is driving five times what she drove <laughs> i want to hear what his experience was <laughs> so thank you for listening to plug in for more Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, check out the one-stop EV marketplace, eVuniverse.com. Until next time.